Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus kind of going from town to town and doing some pretty amazing things. We saw him do the, the declaring the Isaiah 61 passage that the Spirit of the Lord was on him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then we, we fast forward a little bit and he does some amazing healings, right? Like he heals a person with, with leprosy. He heals a, a paralytic man. You know, Jesus is on his way in... As he's on his way, he approaches a toll booth, essentially a toll booth where a tax collector was, and this tax collector was Levi or Matthew. Now, tax collecting at the time is kind of like legalized stagecoach robbery, right? So this is just kind of how it went. Tax collectors were despised by the general culture, despised. People hated them, and here's why. It's because tax collectors were kind of employed by the Roman government. And you have to remember at the time, Rome was an occupier of Israel. And so to be a tax collector, what you essentially would have to do is sell your soul to Rome, go work for them, go work for the people occupying you, occupying you, and then make money by like essentially stealing from other people. And so what the government would do is they would say, Rome would say, hey, here's a tax, 10%. 10% is what the tax collector would have to give to Rome of a certain amount. But they didn't tell the tax collector what they would have to charge for their item. So a person would be on the road and a tax collector would stop them. They would come to a tax booth and a tax collector could determine, predetermine an amount of what everything was worth that a person was carrying and tax them on it and basically just take as much money as they can off of these people. Does that make sense? So they would basically say, say you were, you had a load of, of goods, they would say, well, Rome wants 10% of that, whatever that's value, but I get to set the value. And then they would keep the extra for themselves, send it off to Rome. And there was no checks on it. So you can understand why people did not like them and why people probably did whatever they could to get away from them. So, There was no guidelines. They basically made themselves wealthy off of everyone else, turned their backs on their people to work for Rome. These were tax collectors. And so Jesus leaves this amazing event of healing a paralytic man, and he's on a road, and he comes to one of these tax booths. And the text says, right in verse 27, if you have it open, says, Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi. Jesus saw Levi. I just want to hang out there for a minute because that, those, are in, those are amazing words. Jesus saw Levi. Jesus didn't just see a tax collector. He didn't just see a traitor. He didn't just see someone who essentially stole money. He saw a person And that person's name was Levi. He was a person with a past. He was a person with a present. And he was a person with a future. Jesus sees him. He doesn't see what he's done. He doesn't see what he's currently in the process of doing, ripping off people. He sees him. And it's a text and a theme, I mean, that we keep bumping into again and again in the Gospel of Luke. 
Jesus sees people. He doesn't see categories, but he sees actual people, who they are. And in our culture where we kind of size everyone up based on what they do, like you spend any time with someone, what are some of the first things you ask? Oh, what do you do for work? Jesus sees beyond our categories. And our culture loves to categorize people. You're either a Democrat or a Republican or, or whatever the million different categories we have for people that we kind of just shove people in and say, oh, they're like that. Jesus sees beyond that. And he sees people for who they are, with a name and a story. He sees Levi. And here's the thing. He sees you. He doesn't see your title at your job. He doesn't see just the things that you've done. He doesn't see your failures. Sure, he knows about those things, but he sees you and he knows you. You're not a number with Jesus. You're a person with a name. Jesus called Levi and he told him the same command that he would tell Peter earlier. Follow me. And this command was an invitation to follow in the way of Jesus, a tax collector following in the way of Jesus. And Jesus did that, knowing what was in Levi's heart, knowing what was in Levi's bank account, knowing what was in his past, knowing how he made that money. Jesus called him. And he says, follow me. And this brings us to our next point, the response to change. The command of Jesus was a costly command to Levi. Follow me. Because what does Levi do? Verse 28, he says, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow Jesus. The first thing Levi does when he hears the command of Christ is he leaves everything behind. Kind of fascinating because Jesus, when he called Peter to follow him, he left his fishing behind. But here's the thing, if, if the whole fishing thing or if the whole Jesus thing didn't work out for Peter, like he could just go back to being a fisherman. Like if the th- whole thing just collapsed for Peter, James, and John, they'd just go fish again and make some money that way. But it is more costly for Levi Because if everything didn't work out with Jesus, if he wasn't really who he claimed to be, he couldn't just go back to being a tax collector. Rome would not have him back if he left everything to follow Jesus. It was a costly thing for him. He left his whole occupation, his way of earning a living behind, knowing he could never go back to follow after the Savior. It was costly financially. It was probably costly relationally. Because remember, he's not liked by the broader culture. So how is this going to work out? He leaves, he leaves all of his friends over here to a culture that hates him, that knows him as Matthew, the tax collector. 
Rome wouldn't shelter him. Would society take him back? I don't know what was going through Matthew's head at that time. But he leaves everything to follow Christ. And friends, whatever it might cost you to follow Jesus, whatever it might cost you to walk in his ways, Jesus knows that cost. Maybe your friends will think less of you. Maybe your family will ostracize you. Whatever happens, Jesus knows the cost. And he still calls to follow me. He calls Levi. And Levi sees the supreme worth of Jesus. And he just follows after him. He leaves, he leaves everything else behind. That old way of life behind. And he follows after Christ. And if you're here today, and if you're wondering if Jesus is worth it, look at Matthew, who literally left everything behind to follow after a savior who promised life. Matthew saw the supreme worth of Christ and leaves it all. And the text says that Matthew began to follow Jesus. And the tense of the Greek verb behind began to follow Jesus is, is a tense that is a continuing action. He doesn't arrive. He doesn't, he doesn't ever just, his whole life isn't buttoned up all of a sudden. But he begins in the way of following after Jesus. His, his orientation towards life changed. But his life, I'm sure, is still a little bit of a mess. Matthew is in process. And this is good news for us because we're in process too. None of us have arrived. None of us are completely mature in Christ. We're all still growing into Christ. And it's easy, if you're new to Christianity and following after Jesus, to, to get around some like really mature Christians who've been praying for a long time and think, man, I could never pray like that. Or, man, I wish I knew my Bible better. Or, man, I wish I could be as generous with my time and my money. But, but that's okay, because we're in process Don't compare yourself to others. Follow Jesus from where you are. He begins this process, Levi does, and his life would never be the same. Because when Jesus calls you, he changes you. You might think that after Levi leaves everything he has and his whole occupation, that like the tone of his heart will be one of fear and sorrow. But the text says something quite different, and I find it fascinating. Instead of sorrow, Levi decides to throw a party. He has found his all in Jesus, and he's like, I'm throwing a party, and it's going to be a pretty dang good one. He invites over all of his tax collector buddies, because he has no friends in the broader society anyways, and he makes Jesus the guest of honor to introduce him to his friends. And this is, like I said, it's probably a pretty good party. Like if you're inviting all of your tax collector buddies and they're probably all kind of pretty well loaded, that this is the kind of party you want to get invited to, right? There's probably going to be an open bar there. Like they're probably going to be, have like bacon wrapped scallops or something like really nice on the, on the party trays. And 
This is the party Jesus goes to. But this, and this is what repentance looks like. It looks like a party. Hey, I found Jesus and he's changed me. Come and see what he's like. It's not a dirge, it's an anthem. Levi isn't grieved, he's joyful. But there are others that have some questions, which brings to our third point, the haters of change. So meals in the time of Jesus were a really intimate thing. Like it's really, like it's very common in our culture to just go out for lunch or, or all that stuff. But, but meals in Jesus' time were really relationally significant. When you went to dinner with someone or went over their house, you were associating yourself with them. Meals were places where people pulled together relationally. And who does Jesus associate himself with but tax collectors and sinners? And in some parts of the world, meals are still really, really significant way of pulling people together relationally and welcoming guests as family. Because there's something about the combination of food and drink and time that just weaves people together around the table. Recently watched a documentary kind of highlighting a little bit of, of this truth um, and it was talking about a butcher named Dario in, in the Tuscan region of Italy. And he opened up his own restaurant and people were like, well, we're gonna put the tables here, here, here. And he said, no, 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 I want one table. So in his restaurant, when you go to eat, you sit at a table with all of these people that you have no idea who they are. And he says that one of his favorite things is watching people who go from strangers from another country oftentimes not even speaking the same like native tongue, become friends by the time they leave a meal. And I think that's what's happening a little bit here, maybe at an even more extreme level, Jesus is becoming friends with, he's befriending these people that society has pushed down on. And the Pharisees aren't keen on it. They say in verse 30, that it says that they complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Pharisees are a really easy group of people to hate on, but I think we need to pause and kind of understand a little bit about them. Because Pharisees are the self-imposed keepers of the culture in a time of intense strife, cultural strife. You got Rome occupying it, people their own people going to work for Rome as tax collectors. The Pharisees were the people that loved the Bible. They, their scribes often trans, uh, kept large portions of scripture, copying it and preserving it. They didn't want to lose their culture in the middle of this Roman occupation. They were strict adherents to the Old Testament law, often making laws to protect them from the law that they didn't want to break. So they would have a law, don't do this. And then they would have another law to protect them from breaking that law. These are the people that you wanted to be your neighbors. Like if they moved into the neighborhood, you're like, good, no crazy parties next door, right? They were upstanding people. They were morally buttoned up. You know, they always had their shirt tucked in and their hair slicked back. Everything just looked 
perfect. Their their lives were exemplary in terms of how they lived it. Uh, Jesus would go on to say that these people basically tithed out of their spice rack later on in the Bible. So these are people who are easy to like. The people that look like the good guys. And when they see Jesus eating with people that are the exact opposite of them, they start complaining. Because the Pharisees had written the tax collectors out of the story of God. There was no place for them there. And what would God do with people who've abandoned their people? And then here comes Jesus. Jesus is like, well, I'm going to go to this party with them. And we've come across this over and over and over again, that Jesus is building his kingdom with the unlikely people, with the least and the lowly and the lost, not the people who think they're perfect. He's building it with fishermen and tax collectors and societal outcasts. And he's doing amazing things through them. He's going after the people seemingly furthest from himself. And if you're here and you're a Christian, I want to kind of look at this, like pivot a little bit and look at this like a a missional playbook. Because we need to learn from Jesus about our interactions with the world. These are complementary to what we've, if you were here a couple weeks ago when Paul Gordon was teaching about how we're to help people meet the life changer, Jesus But here are some lessons from Jesus that can be like our missions playbook. That as you live in the world, Christian, here's how you are to act. Here's what we can learn. First, if we're going to live like Jesus in the world, you need to see other people. See them. Notice them. Learn their names. Be present. Avoid the broad cultural categories that our culture assigns. Avoid pigeonholing people to one specific kind of person. See people, individuals with a story and a past and a future. And don't ever for a second think that God couldn't do something with it. Avoid the oversimplified categories for people. Because when we do, when we fall for that, not seeing people as persons, we reduce people and we, we step out of what God might be doing in the world with them. The Pharisees are not at the party. They're outside complaining to the disciples. Don't be like the Pharisees. See people. Don't just see the category tax collector. See the person, Levi. Second, Befriend others. Once you see people, befriend them. Now, I'm not asking you to go save the world. Remember, like we want to just have like our one person that we want to know about Jesus. Like we can be narrow, right? But but befriend people. I'm talking about our disposition towards them. Don't be afraid to have meaningful friendships with people who are not Christians. We need to have deep relationships with others. We need to know our neighbors' names. We need to be in our neighborhoods. And 
Jesus has no problem closely associating himself whom society deemed the worst. So we should have no problems just being friends in the world to be the kind of people that just, hey, I, I, I noticed that you see me and be, you befriend me. Like, and be willing to open up our lives and our homes to people. Or, you know, as you meet people and you connect with them and maybe you're one person that you just want to know Jesus, like, befriend them, take them out to lunch, do whatever friends do. Go on a hike, whatever it is that you do together. Third, enjoy others. So we're going to see others, befriend others, enjoy others. And I love this because you get no sense that Jesus gets invited to this party by Levi and he's like, oh, I didn't really feel like going to another party. You get no sense of like Jesus begrudging his people or begrudging going to this party. He's not dragging his feet. He's like, now I've got to go to this party and I'm gonna have to pretend to be an extrovert for a couple of hours. None of that. You get a sense that Jesus is enjoying being there. And so I wanna give you permission to enjoy people, enjoy them, get to know them. Don't be threatened by them. They're people with stories. Be curious. Enjoy the people God places in front of you. Because here's the thing, the hope of change is not in your ability to change others. The hope of change is not in your ability for other people to change. The hope of change is a person and that person is Jesus. The Pharisees complain to the disciples about Jesus, but notice Jesus is the one that replies to the Pharisees, and he says, and we'll put it on the screen, Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus rebuts the Pharisees with a rather indicting statement and showed that the tax collectors were not only physically closer to Jesus, because they were at the party with him, but they were spiritually closer to Jesus because they knew they needed him. And there is a way, friends, to think yourself as healthy. Think of yourself as healthy and be really spiritually sick. And if there arises in your soul or in your heart this attitude, like like I've got, I think I've got this figured out, or an attitude of superiority to other people or an attitude of pushing other people down. Let that be a little like Pharisee warning light. You know how your TPMS light goes off every time the temperature changes? Like in your car, that's, let this be, this, this feeling that you get of self-righteousness be this little Pharisee warning light that says, man, I am on dangerous ground because there's a way to think that I am healthy and actually be spiritually sick, that my life can look buttoned up, put together, check off all the moral categories, but I'm actually far from Jesus. This is a warning for Christians. Because, friends, it's easy to get spiritually prideful and forget of your deep need of Jesus that you are lost without him. The Pharisees are outside the party. 
don't put yourself outside the party of what Jesus is up to in the world and what he is doing. Recognize your need of Jesus. And this is a warning for those of you who don't know Jesus. Because it's easy to fall into this religious trap that says, why do I need a savior? My life looks good. I'm, I'm an honest person. I don't cheat on my taxes. I, I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. And when we think we don't need Jesus, when we think we're good, is when we're actually far from him. Because Jesus came for the sick people. He came for people who know that they need them. Your good works don't merit God's love. Right? That you can't earn his love and favor. It comes to you through Jesus, who is the hope of change. Levi knew he was that person. He knew he was sick and in spiritual need of Jesus. And as one commentator put it, the same call that lifted a paralytic from his bed came to Levi and lifted him out of his spiritual death and sickness. And that same call extends to you to follow me. Jesus extends that same offer to you. And he can give you real healing. And the result of Levi's life was a whole reorientation of the heart that nothing would ever be the same because the hope of change is not in our ability to, to change ourselves. It's not an ability to fix myself. It's not in the ability for others to fix themselves. It's in Christ to reach into hearts, to change it and to make it love him. There's no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps with Jesus. There's only sick people who find a doctor and that doctor is the savior. And friends, the invitation of the text is to locate yourself in the story a bit. Are you like Levi? You can run to the Savior. Are you hearing Jesus calling you to follow him? You can run to the Savior who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, who's willing to associate with you no matter what. You can run to him and find life in him. You can run to the Savior. Are you like the disciples in the story? Kind of quickly pass by in the text. Join Jesus in his work. Feast with people. Get to know them. Introduce them to Jesus. Or are you like the Pharisees? Are you hiding yourself from the unclean people, from the big bad world? Are you afraid of others? Are you trying to protect your reputation? Are you trying to, or are you trying to like share the good news with others? Are you willing to say that I am sick and I need a savior just like everyone else? Are you thinking yourself okay because of your life? It's a Pharisee warning light. And the invitation for you friends is to join in on the party with Jesus. Because he's doing something in the world. He's not done yet. He's taking people who are far away from him and bringing them close. He's taking people who are sick and know they need a savior and he's, he's given them new life and healing in him. Would you join in on the party 
with Jesus? Would you share the good news with others? And if you feel like Levi, that my life is not put together, you can join in on that party with Jesus too, because he calls you to himself.